0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Maeve. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this is the Team Behind the Team podcast, and we have a special guest for you guys today. Uh, we have Cassie Hardy on the show. Cassie works in sports medicine here at Texas, and I know I'm excited about having you on the show today. Cassie, say hello to everybody.
1: Hi, everyone. How y'all doing?
0: <laughs> so I know uh, Cassie, I've, I've worked with Cassie, uh, not directly, but just we've been around each other for since 2011 when you got here, so I know uh, I was looking forward to having you on the show. So as we kick off this episode, Cassie, go ahead and let's, uh, let's just take a moment, introduce yourself. What's your title, your role at Texas, and kind of give us a little history about how you got here.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, so like Donnie said, my name is Cassie Hardy. Uh, I'm an associate athletic trainer here at the University of Texas. Uh, currently, my, my main role at Texas is the athletic trainer for the Texas softball team. I also help out with rowing in the fall semester I've been at Texas now for eight years on staff. I'm actually a product of the program, though. So back in from 05 to 08, I was a student in the program as well. So I worked with some other sports then. But on staff, I've worked, like I said, with softball and rowing currently. Previously, I was with swimming and diving, women's swimming and diving for six years. And I helped out with women's tennis for a couple Mm -hmm. years there in between as well. Uh, But yeah, I started here at the University of Texas back in 03. My path to athletic training I would say is not the typical one. Most athletic trainers have a story, as I call it. You know, they either tore their ACL in high school or had a a significant injury when they were playing sports. They met met their athletic trainer or their physical therapist. They kind of learned about the world, learned about what it entailed. And, you know, perhaps they weren't able to continue athletically, so they they joined into this world of sports medicine. Uh, Not the case for me. I did have a few injuries in high school, nothing super severe, thankfully. I did work with an athletic trainer, but Frankly, at the time, and I have since gone back and apologized to her for this, I didn't even really realize the profession as it were at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I was thinking about this as we were coming in here. The building we're actually recording this in right now is where I first learned about athletic training here on the University That's of Texas awesome. campus. Kind of weird. It was in a <laughs> Spanish great. class. Yeah. Spanish class of all things. I was on, I think, my fourth or fifth major at Texas. Um, I had a lot of career searching developments that I did when I first came to the university. I had a, I had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do for, with the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, I started as a pre-veterinary medis- medicine major here, um, undeclared in natural sciences. And then I bounced around from biology to education to economics to Spanish. And then I met a good friend of mine, her name was Kara, in a Spanish class. And I was kind of yeah. telling her that I couldn't find something that really fit all the, all the things I wanted. Um, and I was explaining to her, you know, I like solving problems. I like helping others. Uh, I really like the outdoors. And of course, I like sports and competition. And serendipitously, I guess, she happened to be in the athletic training program at Texas and told me a little bit about it. I went to my academic counselor, and the kind of the rest was history from there. So signed up for the courses, applied to the program, and now I've been here for a really long time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Was there ever a moment in that process where you like, okay, You know, you talked about switching majors, I think, four or five times, didn't you? Was there ever a point where you're like, this is, man, this is is what I want to do? Did you ever reach a point? Did it kind of just blend a little bit?
1: I mean, it definitely built up. Um, There are moments, though, all the time where I recognize that I'm doing, you know, something I love and something that I should be doing. And a lot of times, and this is probably true for a lot of athletic trainers, but a lot of times that comes from the moment someone you've been working with from, you know, their lowest of lows from an athletic perspective then achieves greatness, right? You know, I've had athletes win national titles individually and on a team perspective and you, athletes that, again, I've seen at their, at their worst with regards to sport and watch them achieve that, those moments really, um, you really do feel it. And then, of course, the moments where you have parents and coaches and, and athletes Come and thanking you for whatever you mm-hmm. might have gotten them through, whatever whatever trial or tribulation. Those moments, I definitely go home, tell my husband, tell my family about like this was a good day. So.
0: Mm-hmm. You ever thought along that path? Did you ever think about going clinical at all in in therapy? Did you did that ever pop up or no?
1: Yeah, you know, I think a lot of athletic trainers in their education process have to kind of make that decision um, you you find out about it early on that you know athletic training is not the only thing you can do um, there's physical therapy and uh, you could be a physician's assistant chiropractor go to med school there's a lot of different kind of veins of uh, sports medicine in the medical profession healthcare profession nursing etc that you can do and um, for me along the pathway most athletic trainers you're considering, one thing you know, we don't like to talk about it, but a salary. You're considering time. What it, what it's, what kind of time commitment yeah, you're looking time at? Away, yeah. And then family and and what your goals are family wise, and if you can make that work life balance work. But hopefully, and this is how it was for me, you get experiences and little opportunities with these different um, different professions to see if, in addition to just you know the exterior pieces, if the day to day of those things sounds like fun. And for me, after grad school. Um, I moved up to Syracuse while my husband finished grad school and was given the opportunity to work at a physical therapy clinic, um, also working as an outreach athletic trainer for a high school, um, for a group of high schools at a school district in Syracuse. And um, that was kind of my interaction with the physical therapy clinic side. And I worked with some athletic trainers who went then went to get their PT or PTA um, degrees to work in that setting. And it was definitely a great experience, but one where I realized you know, the being a part of a team and traveling and being part of part of the games and part of practices and being outdoors and having kind of that dynamic Mm -hmm. work environment was really something that was really important to me and not something I felt like I could get in a clinic. So
0: yeah, you'd be at the same place pretty much all day, week in and week out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I I think uh, that's one thing I remember kind of similar to you uh, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do one of my big things was I just didn't want to wear a suit and tie. I, you know, I just I hate dressing up, and I knew if I was coaching and being around athletes, I'd at le- least get to wear a little more relaxed gear. And and I like the spontaneity and the different schedules we have from day to day. You know, yeah. I, I would every be safe day. to yeah. Every day's a new day, right? I mean, I see you guys working too, and it's like. There's new challenges, there's new situations and you you may use those skill sets again and again, but I like the spontaneity of our careers. I Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely a plus. Um let's talk a little bit now. Let's get a little bit more probably in your expertise of injuries and return to play a little bit. And kind of personally like what is your approach, philosophy on dealing with an athlete who has an injury and then getting them back up to speed to play again? Kinda you can use any kind of uh, generic examples of, of whether it's a knee or a shoulder or whatever. Kind of what's your philosophy and approach with return to play?
1: Yeah, well, you know, without getting too specific into, you know, certain body parts and certain types of injuries, I think first and foremost, you have to kind of visualize the big picture, both for yourself as a professional, but also for your patient or your student athlete and make sure they recognize you know, where we are in the grand scheme of things and mainly that it's going to be okay because, mm-hmm. you know, one thing as athletic trainers, we see people at their worst a lot of times and it's really important and my focus is always to stay focused on the positivity and That's recognizing, recognizing deep. yeah, that the mind, uh, uh, if you see it and believe it, you can do it and you can yeah. get there. And yes, there are physiological barriers that are going to stop that from happening. Um, there's only, you know... We, we can do some really great things, but there's only so much we can do with the body. But making sure you see your athlete as a, as a whole. And I oftentimes spend a lot of time at the beginning parts of injuries recognizing and listening to the athlete to see what measurement of success looks like to them. Mm-hmm. What is a successful outcome? Is it back in two days? Is it back before, you know, a big competition in two weeks against our arch rival Uh, And making sure you recognize where they're coming from as you're approaching the issue. Um, And no matter how lofty their goals might be, somehow you'll meet them in the middle there Mm -hmm. uh, and make sure to keep everyone on the same page and on track. But first and foremost, yeah, you know, immediate recognition. You want to make sure recognizing there's an injury and and its significance so you don't allow, um, you know, further injury to occur. So protecting that from further complicating the issue. Um, And then from there you go straight into a team approach, really, which is what I love about working here at Texas, First, your team is just, you know, the athletic trainer and the student athlete. Usually the coach is going to play in there, too, just because they care about their team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you go from there. If it's fairly simple, run in the mill, we're going to hold them out, work on getting them stronger once their pain and swelling and that sort of thing is resolved, assuming you're talking about a musculoskeletal thing. Uh, and then if, if so, you reach out to the rest of your team, right? Not just referrals to the physician or maybe your orthopedist, but also to the other people who are going to impact that athlete's life. So our strength and conditioning coach, you know, they're down, but they're not out a lot of times. So what else can we do to keep them in the weight room? Um, keep them a part of the team, um, but still protect that, that injured area, that injured part. Same with our dietitians, you know. There's a role that they can play, especially in the early stages of injury. Yeah, yeah. to better healing, and to yeah. and and that goes same case with uh, post surgically too. There's a lot of stuff they can do there, and then we even bring in some of our other specialists as well with regards to sports science and those things because they have a lot of baseline data on our student athletes. So when we do have an injury, we know what we're trying to get back to too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's there's a lot of people involved at a you know at an institution like Texas. We have a lot of Resources and are blessed with a lot of great things to work with there. But I would say for sure, first and foremost, as I focus on the positive, and start with some attainable short-term goals, and then move forward from there, keeping the athlete focused on getting better and not focused on, unfortunate, you know, the unfortunate situation. You know,
0: I love what you said earlier about um, keeping the big picture, and I think that, and what I, and what I love about that is, I know in our profession in strength and conditioning, you'll see. That some Oftentimes, um, sports medicine and strength and conditioning don't always mesh well, right? They have different philosophies. Whereas what, what I hear you're saying and what I see at Texas, which I love, is that, hey, what's the big picture here? First and foremost, it's the athlete's health and well-being, you know, getting them back. It's not about, you know, having different um, beliefs or opinions, but it's about collaboration, Absolutely. right? And that's kind of what this podcast really we're trying to work on is like, hey, today— the the modern and relevant trend in sports performance or in performance is just a team approach, and if you win, we win. If we win, you win. We all win together. The athlete gets better, and then we win more championships. So, at the end of the day, you 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 said it right. It's it's all about the big big picture.
1: Yeah, you know, and I learned that from a, a mentor of mine at uh, the University of Virginia. She was kind of the first person that really highlighted, yeah, like, like you alluded to this kind of historical tendency of athletic trainers and strength coaches maybe not getting along yeah. having a little bit of turf war between one and the other um and yeah i mean that's got to be one of the first things you you nip in the bud there because they are a team uh they have the same goals um and they work so much better together than against each other so that has never been a problem here at texas which has been great and like i said yeah. I've, I've learned the importance so, of that so early good. on um but yeah big picture things for athletes you know sometimes and sometimes injuries do happen at the worst possible time uh, but just you know making sure the athlete recognizes in the grand scheme of everything it's it's going to be okay mm-hmm. right I know you, I know you to I know you want to pitch against you know fill in the blank rival I won't name any names but we're going to get through this more important that you're there for the postseason than, than you are for one of these regular season games and just you know being able to level with them about that and recognizing I want to win just as much as you do but we're going to do it safely and with your best interest in mind.
0: You know, and I love, too, what you said. Uh, I love that that, that phrase, it's going to be okay. Because, I mean, so many athletes need to hear that. And I know it's, you know, it may be a little cheesy. You know, you know, coaches tell me, hey, you got to have a great attitude and all that. It's kind of cliche and cheesy. But, you know, I think having a trainer like yourself who's positive, because uh, I think that's a big part of the injury, too. Like you said, it's just keeping their mind in a good state of how they – What's their perspective on where they're at in, in keeping them grounded? That's going to be critical in building momentum to get them back even quicker, like you said. So Absolutely. it's a big piece to have somebody like you you telling them that.
1: Yeah. You see the mind do great things for people yeah. if,
0: you
1: can, if you can get around, around
0: Um Take a, just a quick moment and talk about, you know, talking about with uh, just injury prevention, right? Yeah. What, what are some practical steps, you know, you, you talk about— um, uh, to help athletes stay healthy and to prevent things from from happening, bad things.
1: Yeah, one of our one of our coaches, he loves the phrase "prevention is easier <laughs> than the cure," um, and no. I love that he loves that phrase, frankly, because it only helps my cause every day. Uh, he's usually um, repeating that mantra during pre warm ups or pre practice, where our athletes are are out on the fences and they're working with their bands and. Uh, working with the Jaeger bands, doing their shoulder mobility warm up
0: yeah. before
1: they throw that whole th- warm up to throw kind of thing, not throw to warm up. Um, so yeah, prevent and it's very true. Prevention is so much easier than the cure, and it's not hard if you can build it in the right way. As much as I would love all twenty of my rostered athletes to come see me every day, thirty or forty five minutes a day. To do some preventative mobility work in between classes and study hall and social life and practice, that's just not realistic sometimes unless they do, are injured and they know they have to, um, as a means of you know being able to get back onto the field. But building it into practice and again with the strength coach building it in with warm ups and building it in with some of the stability work they do in the weight room because that's already a practice that's built in to their week. Um, our strength coach with softball. Mel builds in core stability work. She builds in shoulder stability work that she and I work together on. And she'll come to me and ask, like, hey, can we change this up? Or, uh, you know, they've been doing this one for a while. Is there something else you want to be doing? And I'm at every every lift and every conditioning workout, too. So I'm seeing what they're building in. So if they're getting that with Mel, then that might not be what we do before practice on any given day. But when it's built in, even if it's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, if that's every day, that compounds and that's stability. You see... Over the months, you know, from September to December through the fall semester, you see that mobility and you see that stability really impacting how they move in the weight room and how they move on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's great to see that. And then, of course, we always like to double check that with objective measures, too. And that's when we bring in sports science and we compare our August numbers to our December numbers and make sure what we're seeing is actually showing up in numbers, too. And...
0: Quick question. You, you said something there that kind of made me think. How has your job changed and now you've got, I know as, so as strength and condition coaches, we see a lot of data from technology. It has to be changing kind of how you do your job a little bit. Is Can you speak to that a little bit? Is that, is that change over the last 10 years?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a numbers person. I'm, total research nerd. I love this implementation of sports science and I've watched it slowly, you know, slowly squeeze into the sports world. And it has started kind of with strength and conditioning. It seems to be at that level. Um, Most of the places that I know that are incorporating sports science, their strength coaches are the ones looking at these values and altering and individualizing workouts. And I think that's the main way it's really changing is it's allowed for individualization Mm -hmm. and an otherwise kind of fast-paced, you know, situation where you've got practices every day and you're kind of just rolling with it through the season before you know it season's over. But it, I mean, the amount of data that we can accumulate in a 15-minute or 5-minute for, in some instances, session with a sports scientist is incredibly helpful both for the strength coach, and then I'm looking at if I have, you know, people who are predisposed because they've had previous injuries, mm-hmm. um, or I'm looking at numbers that really just don't add up. And we're trying, we don't have the perfect algorithm yet for that to know someone's at risk for injury. Obviously, if we did, we wouldn't let them practice that day, but yeah, we're working on finding those imbalances. And saying, you know, so and so really needs to. We really need to get working on their hip stability, or their ankle mobility just isn't it. We need to. We need to find ways to improve that, so we don't get there. And um, like I said, definitely not a perfect algorithm yet. Uh, if it were, we'd be we'd be making the big bucks, right? But um, I think it's. That's right. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> it's on its way up for sure, and there's still so many great things we have yet to uncover.
0: Yeah, I love it. you. Made me think that the old quote, "An ounce of prevention is worth what a pound of cure," isn't it. So it, it does. And uh, technology is, it's it's kind of. I wouldn't say that it's making decisions for us, but it's more informed, right? Yeah, you have more information to make hopefully a little bit uh, more specific decision, like you said, individualize it. Yeah, because everybody's so different. Um,
1: well, and and the student athletes want that data. They like to know. I mean why are we doing this testing again what are we, what am i wearing this band for this you know wearable for etc but then when they see the feedback from it they're intrigued by it too cuz it's it's them on paper mm-hmm. so it's it's something that in the right setting too you can use to motivate um, to hold accountable and to encourage athletes you know hey we're seeing these things and here let me show you that education piece from a injury prevention and from an injury re- rehabilitation standpoint is huge, and these objective numbers and data are really helping foster that education even more so, and that's that's really helpful.
0: That's good stuff, Cassie. Um, I had another another little vein for you to, to kind of touch on. So now, think big picture again with sports, and f- for example, going through a long season. Right? Would you agree that the season is a grind? Not yes. just on you, <laughs> right? Not, but also on the coaches oh, yeah, and everybody. on the athletes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that you know, just my time here at Texas, I know you see it as well. You mentioned it, but the resources and not and just the philosophies that you guys have of a holistic approach to recovery and keeping athletes healthy. Can you talk about uh, maybe some of the things, uh, modalities, things that you like to use with your athletes to kind of keep them keep them fresh and keep them recovered?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think I think you touched on it a little bit. Um, recovery um, is a huge industry, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you know they, they claim to be able to do, and that we're finding it seemingly is is possible. Um, definitely, research still needing to catch up there on a, on a lot of these modalities. And frankly, in the world of sports, sometimes we don't we don't give research time to catch up because we got to get on the next biggest thing, next biggest best thing. Um, but I think there there are ways to make those informed decisions. Even just this last semester, our team did like a mini research study of sorts with our sample size of twenty, uh, looking at some of those recovery tools. There's infrared gear and wearables and stuff like that that we've been kind of playing with. And there's you that's know so cool yeah <laughs> that's our, our so athletes awesome. like it too. There's there's subjective components there, and people kind of sometimes gawk at the placebo effect. And if that's all you're going off of, then then, you know, what's the point? And, I mean, placebo effect has a name because it is a thing. It's real. But the cool yeah. thing, and I'm a, I'm science and numbers and objectivity, so I like proof, too, outside of the subjective. And that's been what's fun about this is I've been working with Travis, our sports scientist, and we're finding numbers, again, trends and things like that. We're not necessarily um, doing full IRB studies with statistically significant um, data collection, although we are finding that. Um but, yeah, there's just a lot, of, a lot of areas it can go to. Um, we've come a long way, so to speak, from, you know, the cold tubs and contrast baths. Um, and, you know, a little bit less holistic, but still just as important, in my opinion, for that sort of thing, is just your, your kind of old-school mobility, mobility sessions, body work, um, building those things. I mean, it takes a lot to keep an athlete in, in gear and in shape for every day for practice. And they have to own that just as much as we have to build it into yeah, their I process, like too. Yeah. But um, yeah. There's, I mean, the list is endless. I don't really know where to start or where to stop when talking about that kind of thing. No, I like
0: what you <laughs> said, I think because you know every sport's different, every athlete's different, and so there you, you got to get buy-in from the athlete, and they've got they're really the stewards of their own bodies. Yeah, you know we are we're just servants, right? We're serving them, providing services, but they've got to have a passion and a vision for, and kind of catch the catch the bug, so to speak, Mm -hmm. on like, hey, when you feel better, you'll play better, you'll stay healthier, Uh, coaches will be happier, you'll be happier, everybody's happier. So just buying into that as a a philosophy is good for them, too.
1: Yeah, and all it takes is, you know, one leader on the team or, you know, someone who's really talented on the team to buy into that. Um, And I've had that on almost every team I've worked with, something that I've been trying to encourage them to do, had one or two people buy in and see results. For the next the next athletes coming up, then you know the freshmen looking and saying, "What is it that they're doing that I'm not?" Oh, it's those little extra things that Cassie's telling them to do. It's those little extra things that coaches have asked them to do before and after practice when no one's looking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, champions are built when no one's looking. That's always a common phrase, and it's true. I mean, you you have to do the little extra things um, and catch the bug. I like that. I hadn't yeah. <laughs> heard that before, but yeah. yeah.
0: Nothing thing you see, you said with, it's cool to see a freshman come in that they don't really do anything, and then. Hopefully by their senior year, they're doing, like you said, all the little things to stay healthy and, and stay in a good state. So it's pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah, they sometimes they just don't even know. You know, they they weren't exposed to things like that. That's This is a big university with a lot of resources mm-hmm. and a lot of um, experts all working in one place. And that individualization, again, is really a, a, a big facet of Texas's success, I think, from a health and wellness perspective.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, kind of shifting gears. This is, okay, so this— I got another question for you. This is one of my favorite topics. So with the role you play, you have, man, your role, you're very, very closely connected to the head coach, the sport coaches, right? Yeah, um, for
1: better or for worse.
0: Yes. That's right. <laughs> it can be good and bad. <laughs> yeah. Good and bad. Um, so you're in direct contact communication with those sport coaches just give us, what have you done over the years uh, to build good rapport and relationships with your sport coaches? How have you done that? Because I've because i seen that, and it seems like you've got good relationships with them. How have you done that?
1: Well, yeah, thankfully I've been around great people at Texas. But, yes, notoriously, the athletic trainer-coach relationship is, we'll just call it unique. Um, it's it's from the outside looking in or from like a daily transactional relationship you can see why it might be tense at times we are the bearer of bad news most times a lot of coaches joke that they cringe when they see our our phone number on caller id or when we when we walk into their office you know you get the oh god what now because you know we're bringing most often more often than not bad news versus good news i try to highlight the good news any chance i get but it's usually so and so's sick so and so's out know, this and that. So I try to, one, minimize the time I have to do that. But, you know, stuff happens. Um, But I also think the reason I've been successful with the coaches that I've worked with is because once you get past that outside looking in kind of impression and recognize that I'm just as I care just as much about the success of the team as they do, mm-hmm. just coming at it from a different vantage point, then you recognize. I mean, a coach's job is to push the athletes to be their very best and to win. An athletic trainer's first and foremost job is to protect the athletes from harm. But, you know, most of us really like winning too. We, Most of us are former athletes. You know, after a game, after a loss, I'm probably one of the most upset people in the locker room, whether I show it or not. I'm pretty competitive. So we're on the same team we're we're reaching for the same goal. Um, it's just you know I have a few other things I have to um, yeah. put for, first and foremost there. So recognizing that I think is huge, and my coaches know how much I want to beat certain teams and how much I like winning. So they recognize I'm not I'm not holding someone unless it's really in their best interest, and and their best interest is in the team's best interest because you lose that person for a longer time and you have a bigger issue on your hands. And then secondarily, um, communication strategies has been something. As a young professional, kind of growing into this, this role, I've learned you have to find ev- everyone's specific communication strategies. Mm-hmm. I work with several coaches, you know, head coaches and assistant coaches, and all of them communicate slightly differently. Recognizing you can't communicate information, you can't speak information to one person the same way as the other, uh, and and knowing how to, how to do that for each coach. And that's something you have to learn pretty early on so that your relationship starts off comfortably, comfortably. Um, and everyone knows what they need to know about the athletes every day of practice. Cause you hit the ground running day one of practice, those communications have to already be already be working out. So just recognizing that everyone takes information and gives information differently and it's important to respect everyone's comforts there.
0: Man, that is an art what you just said right there, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that when I was yeah,
0: I, when, <laughs> when I was young. Years. No, that <laughs> you takes years learned, to right? learn. Probably I would I would I would assume I know myself as well, sometimes we learn the hard way, don't we?
1: Trial by fire. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, that that's the, sometimes the best way you you learn not to touch a hot stove. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, at Texas, we kind of operate under this performance team model. That's kind of what the podcast uh, is all about, and uh, and that again, like I said earlier, that's the trend we're mo- we're moving towards. It's a it's the team behind the team, right? Uh, how would you describe the performance team model? What would be kind of your definition of how you would say that? And then what are some of the benefits?
1: Yeah, so a former co- uh, co-worker of mine always liked the phrase teamwork makes the dream work. It's a nice cliche phrase. That's totally true. Um, being at a big Division One university like Texas, the performance team is necessary in order to maximize the potential of our student-athletes here. Um, We're recruiting student-athletes that already come here great. They're already Mm -hmm. great athletes when they step on the 40 acres. So um, to expect one person to be able to build them or, you know, a handful of coaches alone to be able to build them into the best they can be in four years, um, while it's uh, um, possible, it's a lot easier if you do that with the expertise of a whole group of other people. Um, And I think sports... You know, the more competitive sports get, the more they're going to lean on these other these other worlds of, of development and um, having experts in each of those areas. I've alluded to them already a little bit, but sports science, uh, nutrition, behavioral health is an untapped resource in a lot of places. Thankfully, one here that we really do utilize heavily, of yeah. um, yeah. course, strength and conditioning, and then sports medicine and athletic training. I think... I can't imagine a world and that's obviously cuz I've been at Texas for a lot of my career but I can't imagine a world uh, where these five five or six groups aren't working closely together. Mm-hmm. And while it, of course it happens in situ- in schools and in areas that don't have all of those resources, I think when you're trying to achieve again maximizing and achieve greatness that has to be that that's that has to be in in the in the zone there. So
0: yeah, and you've been a you've been a part of some really uh, highly successful teams. What 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 have you seen that helps those performance teams? Obviously, the team on the whether it's in the pool or on the field or court, successful. But what about the team? But what what's been some things that's been good that's helped that performance team be successful behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, I think I think the fact that I can't pull one thing. Exp- yeah further explains or highlights why this performance team approach is so important. Because for every team I've worked with, even for, you know, groups of student-athletes within every team that I've worked with that's been so successful, there's been different things that each student-athlete, each individual has leaned on that has made them better and that has then, you know, eventually impacted the success of the team. Um, I think definitely uh, mental health and behavioral health helps in a world where student-athletes are extreme—time demands are extremely high and stress from academic perspective is, is high as well. Having that ability to lean on that and to have those moments to decompress. And, of course, every athletic trainer has had athletes come into their office and do just that. Um, and we will always have our door open for those sorts of things. But having, you know, professionals, social workers, therapists, psychiatrists, etc., also there to help, you know, when that, when that problem is a little bit more complicated— it is, is definitely something you can't trade. It's, a, it's, a, it's something I wouldn't ever want to do without in a situation like being working at Texas. Um, basically, I think our, our performance team divides time up between and time and tasks up between experts and professionals and makes all of the expectations of a Division one college athletics environment feasible. Because um, yeah, if it were all set on one sense. one person or one group of people, I think it it would be more challenging. Again, some people do it, but this is a, a more comfortable and I think a more successful way to do it.
0: Yeah, I know uh, there's a great book, I think it was last year, a couple years ago. It's called Team of Teams by, uh, I think, Stanley McChrystal was the author. But the book's talking about how, just it was, it's a book on the military and how They had to change the way they structured their teams uh, when we were fighting Iraq because it was so scattered. And they had to change that that team of teams approach is kind of what we're talking about here, that it's not always just one person leading or one department, but we've got a that that dynamic group may change depending on what sport, depending on what the needs are that season the issues or challenges you're dealing with it may rotate who maybe you're a little bit more involved in this time maybe the next time you're not as involved on certain exactly but you're still yeah. part of the team and your value and worth has not changed at right. all right
1: everyone needs something a little different you know some people already come with you know with expertise or with they're comfortable in these worlds but maybe they need to be pushed out of their comfort zone into whatever it might be and that that is different for every student athlete but you capitalize on it when you have sort resources for all of them to get what they need and then unite for Uh, one common cause
0: yeah and I think too what you he talked about in the book Cassie about the importance of just transparency with information that that speed of information helps you move quicker Mm -hmm. and that's I think you know kind of to piggyback off what you're saying why that team approach is so important is that you know, being able to share information amongst the team helps you move and make decisions quicker and move the athlete down the road faster. So I think that's helpful.
1: Well, yeah. And you asked, initially you asked me, I think for this, the question was, you know, with the teams that I've worked with that have been successful, what's that, you know, X factor or what was that thing that, that caused that? And a team that works together. And that's something I think every coach is always looking for ways, you know, whether it's, doing military workouts together whether, you know, putting them through a ropes course or, you know, trying to build these kind of exterior challenges to make the team care about the team, mm. care about each other. Teams that are in it for each other really do come out on top, I think, more often than not. Obviously, they have to have the talent and they have to have the skills as well. But there's this intangible factor when you're just out there and you're gritting it out with your teammates and you, um, you know, you sacrifice Dive a little bit more. You do these things because there's again that extra, that extra emotion, that extra caring. And I think a lot of the coaches that I've worked with have really tried to facilitate that and build that into their training and into their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that one's harder to figure out, but it's a good one.
0: Yeah, you made me think of a quote, and I don't remember who said it, but it was it was it goes something like this. I'm gonna kind of paraphrase it, but when we don't worry about who gets the credit. We can really accomplish anything. Oh man, I, and like I don't that. know if that's you know that quote's exact. I, I don't have the in front of me, but but I think because that's what I hear you saying is like you know what it's we're here to help each other. We're not here to be like hey I'm the I'm the guru and I I had the biggest impact on this team or athlete right. being successful. You know, so I think you know not caring who gets the credit and just being a team. Right. I think it's so important. Yeah,
1: I see, I saw that even with you know like our our national championship teams in football when I was a student here at Texas. Uh, you saw that from your Vince Youngs, and yeah. you know the team, the post practice meetings, uh, you know huddles before they broke for practice. A lot of the things that were said were, you know, teammates caring for teammates and making sure everyone had each other's back in those in those moments too, which was really cool. It's
0: good. It's good. Um I'm gonna change gears just a little bit. Let's let's change and talk a little bit about, and we see this uh, today. Uh, you and I, we've been doing this for a little while now.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little while. Just a little
0: while. <laughs> just a little while. And so I've heard you talk about it. I know we deal with it. We are actually starting to mentor and develop these young student professionals coming up. Yep. Um
1: One of the best parts of the job.
0: What advice couple things here on on this one. What advice would you give a young professional listening to this podcast— Uh, as they're starting out in athletic training, one. Two, what do you look for when you're going to hire somebody that's younger?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I I tell this to our athletic training students right now and, you know, when there's moments to have those motherly soapbox um, advice-giving speeches. Uh, And one of the big things that I tell them is to never let an opportunity pass you by. Um, And that's pretty broad, but I, you know, I'm usually highlighting a moment where there was an evaluation of an injury that they could have, you know, partook, they could watch. If they didn't know what they were doing, you know, how to do it, they could at least watch and learn from that. Um, clinically, that's kind of the whole basis for how the program is built. The education program at Texas is you learn, you learn the the components of athletic training in class, and then you walk over to the, to the field or to the pool or to the court or whatever, and then you apply what you just learned in class with supervision, of course, by certified professionals. But that is the opportunity component of this profession, and it's it's bar none for, for success, absolutely. In addition to evaluation experiences and clinical experiences, um, never missing an opportunity to volunteer for an event. You're not going to experience those crazy, catastrophic issues if you aren't if you aren't putting yourself out mm-hmm. there and taking taking time to do the extra volunteering, whether that's, you know, a track meet that the university is hosting or a marathon in town. I mean, you can get a lot of experience when you're working in some of those settings. So I tell them not to let those opportunities pass you by, both from the clinical experience perspective and because I've met some of the best people, best mentors and people I've known that I've utilized throughout my career in those experiences too. Our our director here um, at Texas. Probably the reason I was on his radar as a first year student was because I was gung ho about working sports medicine camp, which is, you know, kind of an extra extra thing we do here and something that not everyone really is interested in doing in the summertime. But he I was a camper through and through and he loved that energy. And, you know, that was just this that jump starts a relationship. Um, that has, you know, helped me a lot along the way getting into graduate school, having recommendations there. So you never know who you're gonna meet. And you don't wanna meet someone just with the intention of, you know, mm-hmm. use it utilizing them for Professional growth, but you know our program director tells a story of um, running into someone in the elevator. He had his elevator speech and he got an NFL internship from a conversation he had in an elevator. So, always taking advantage of opportunities and not, um, you know, always looking down, looking at your phone, kind of just laying back and waiting for something to fall into your lap. That's what I tell students um, because I I truly believe it. Yes, I I don't think I would be where I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am right now if I if I had not taking advantage of those. And then not that I am necessarily on the pay level of getting to hire people here at Texas right now, but we, they do in, take the input of our our staff, of course. Uh, for me personally, if I'm hiring, I'm looking for someone with an interest in research because I have a research bug in me for sure. Um, I love working with individuals that are heavily invested in following and and recognizing evidence-based medicine and where that trend is leading. It's a um, it's just a passion of mine. Since since graduate school really start, sparked that for me, so that's always something that I'm asking about for anyone we might be interviewing is where they where they fall in that realm. And it's not it's not a deal breaker, but it's something I like mm-hmm. to see. No,
0: that's that's so good. I think uh, the advice you give about just taking small opportunities, you know, getting started. Um, what you were talking about, that's that's powerful. I think one, again, one of, I, I'm a big quote person, but it goes like this: the death of a seed is the burial of a forest, and you think about what you just said, you would think uh, being in a a sports medicine camp, like that's good. (laughs) That's insignificant. That's just a waste of time. And we we do, we start out, you get small opportunities, and how you steward or manage or take advantage or don't take advantage has big implications on your career. So that's good advice. I mean,
1: yeah, absolutely. Making sure, of course, while you are taking advantage of these opportunities, you are shining too, right? So, yeah. don't I guess don't partake in these extracurriculars if you know you're still going to have a bad attitude. They're they're watching at all times, so it's important to have that right attitude on while getting those experiences.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good, and I, and I like you said, uh, you what I heard you say about hiring too, just just staying curious, right? Yes, you just exactly. Got, there, there's just this natural curiosity of. Of growth and wanting to get better and learn more, because our profession is changing so fast right now, right? With Um, technology and everything, it's hard to keep up. Really, it is. It's it's pretty impossible. But you gotta you gotta stay curious to keep that edge.
1: Yeah, as much as I as much as I don't love change, because I love all the coworkers that I work with, and we have had some change on our staff. There is there is a re-energizing when you get a new face, especially if they've got new perspectives and they've Mm -hmm. got new credit you know different credentialing's different angles on things they've you know taken different courses or they have that you know that energy it's been as much as i hate saying goodbye to good coworkers having new ones on staff that add that energy is fun too so it's it's a win win kind of thing i guess yeah it's
0: good to have a fresh set of eyes for sure yeah um I want to talk just a second about um uh, professionalism so all my years i've definitely watched you work you are somebody who has, I feel like, just a high standard of excellence and professionalism on how you carry yourself, how you communicate, how you work with people, and it's something I've always respected. And you know, to me today, I don't know that in, in, that we always see a, that that same standard, you know, and it can impact um, you know whether you get your job or not. What would be your definition of professionalism, and how do you go about developing that?
1: Yeah, I'm. Um... I think I I, I kind of walked into a lucky situation at Texas. Um, I think first and foremost, surrounding yourself with good people, both yeah. at Texas and at the University of Virginia, kind of the two main places I've worked collegiately. Um, I can't say enough good things about everyone I've worked with. Ethan Sliba, Kelly Pugh at UVA, uh, Alan Harden here at Texas, you, of course, um, my former supervisor, Tina Bonsi and LeGwen Durden yeah. both.
0: Tina was great, wasn't she?
1: Yeah, both great examples. The green um, was
0: awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. So if I if I try to define, you know, what those qualities are in the people that I look up to, because that's ultimately how I then have grown to try and replicate or be more like they were. Um, both of I, they all have, you know, that that ability to kind of take maintain calm, level headedness during any scenario, whether that's administratively or clinically. I think that's hugely important for a sports medicine professional. Um, and, and respect, um, respect in a lot of different areas, um, respecting their patients or, you know, what we would call student athletes here, respecting the profession and just recognizing its role and the professions around our profession, I think is really important respect amongst, um, colleagues that work in other disciplines. Uh, and then of course, respecting those that you work with and, um, directly and indirectly at your institution, I think. And I go back to something I think I said earlier that, you know, we expect of our student-athletes or even my athletic training students, but doing the right thing when no one else is looking. Mm-hmm. Professionalism, I think that that is definitely a requirement, just like we expect our student-athletes to do the same. Um, so keeping that level head, I guess, keeping calm and and um, listening more so than reacting and speaking, I well, think. That's,
0: that is strong right That's there, a hard one. Said, that's listening. a
1: hard one, Yeah. Um, Especially
0: with the phones and everything today. It's yes. hard to, to listen to people. Yeah, and just,
1: and just in general, I mean, I learned that even in my, you know, my relationship with my husband. Sometimes I got to listen, speak second, listen first, right? Um, <laughs> yes. So doing that, right. doing that professionally is, is important as well.
0: Listing, well, you just you said just, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's another, right that's another
1: talk. I, um, you're going to find someone else for that one. So quick
0: question on <laughs> listing. How do you know if somebody knows you're listing? How do you know?
1: How do you know if someone knows that you're listening? I don't know eye contact or yeah. uh, body language. Um, I guess the response you get eventually, but
0: that I think I agree. That that I think pause. you nailed it right there. Was you know after the conversation or the meeting, what takes place after that? You yeah,
1: know? how you respond?
0: Yeah, because you. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, it's it's good. <laughs> I think, but I think it's you know people, you know you talking about because you guys are or leaders at Texas, but leadership is always about being this dynamic personality and vision and being a go-getter. A lot of times about, can you listen?
1: Yeah, more yeah, more often than not, I would say. And, and,
0: that's... and I would say this to, and, and again, this is not something that I'm saying, it's something I'm definitely working on, but when you listen, I think you're, you're, you get really good at asking questions.
1: Yep. And you learn a lot more that way too.
0: Yeah. And so I think today we, we have a lot of noise. People like to talk, but can how well do people listen? I think that's I think that's a big piece of it.
1: Yeah, and I, I, there's you like quotes, so I'll throw one at you too. Um, this was an athletic director that I worked with in Syracuse at the um, high school, one of the high schools I worked at. She would always say, you know, the athletes or the people you work with don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, I love that quote. That's it's a good it's, one, right? And so I think powerful, listening yeah. is one of the best ways you can show someone that you care because you're giving them the opportunity. To you know, meet you where they are, or meet you're meeting them where they are. However uh-huh. you want to put that, but
0: yeah, people know. People figure it out over time if you really do care and yeah. if you you're interested. So um, it's good stuff. Um, what about the future of sports, I mean, If you had a crystal ball, Cassie, and hmm. you could pre- predict the future, or what do you see coming down? Uh, what do you see coming down the, the the road in any innovations, any kind of cool stuff? things you may see change, anything that pops up with that, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we're going to continue to learn a lot. I think the brain remains one of the most confusing and fascinating parts of our body, Uh, obviously with, with regards to concussions and those sorts of things. I think that's going to continue to be uh, a focus because, because it's so important. My godfather used to always tell me you only get one brain, so take care of it. Um, ironically, that is very true. Um, I think that will continue. I think mental health, uh, mental health and wellness and behavioral health is, is going to become a more uh, relevant factor in a lot of cases and, and sports medicine departments are going to be going to have to recognize their role in helping and fostering that and maintaining that um, and how that is going to impact sports is, I mean, I say it's going to, it already is. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's already a huge deal. And. Kind of connected to that, I think and all these things sort of overlap. I suppose I'm really interested in learning more about sleep, um, and where oh, sleep cool. plays yeah. into a lot of these things. Probably because I work at a college where an average student athlete on my team—I know this because I tracked their sleep for ten weeks—is um, you know looking at five to six hours as opposed to you know, so, yeah, the eight so or nine that we we think everyone needs. But there's just still a lot, still a lot there. So how we can be involved in that and helping that, because obviously sleep is happening not under our direct watch, right? That's not something uh, we can directly impact, but there are ways and there are things that we're learning about that we can do, and that overlaps back into the recovery that I was talking about. Uh, Body maintenance, those seem to be high on the radar, um, bleeding into the realms of nutrition, but also some of these technologies like wearables and gear that we're finding that might help compression, float tanks, infrared bet like all of these things I don't know where they land on research and I'm still waiting for that to roll out and I'm leaning on Travis because he likes research just as much as I do um in our sports science department but trying to find the the next best thing um so we can be on the front end of that nap pods don't we yeah sleep pods for I mean employees and for (laughs) student-athletes there right (laughs) I
0: don't know if we're gonna get them for employees I don't know if that'd go over well
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, I like the thought of it though I like the
0: thought um
1: no, yeah, exactly. Anything like that—bodywork, massage. I mean, our student athletes obviously respond to that sort of thing, and they, they feel benefit from that. So it's—it's got to be something we look at.
0: Good stuff. Um, kind of getting near the episode here. Just want to touch on a couple more things. Um, I know in our profession, I, uh, early in my career as a coach, I saw one of my former bosses, his life—you know, his marriage—just get blown apart. Because he just worked too many hours.
1: Yeah, that's hard.
0: You got right. You got a part of the job is it? It demands a lot of your time. I know you have You're married. I'm married. I know I've dealt with it. You mentioned it. Talk a little bit. Um, how do you maintain or manage? I guess your work life balance. How do you?
1: Yeah. Tackle um, that. Yeah. Um, there's. I guess there's several things that I I do. One. I'm always checking in both my work-life balance and my husband's. I'm married. I don't have any kids yet. My athletes will delight when I say yet because they're all ready for me to have little ones. I'm <laughs> like, what do you mean? I already have 20 yeah, kids on the roster. You got, I'm good. You got but got
0: plenty to take care of. Yeah,
1: I check in on how my life balance is going, how I'm doing, but also how he's doing. So that conversation in and of itself offers just that reciprocity to make sure. I mean, I still consider us young professionals. I know we're exiting that realm a little bit here soon, but... I think young professionals do tend to kind of grind into the the Mm -hmm. ground a little bit, and they work, 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 and then realize later, like, uh, I'm in my 40s or whatever. Um, Whatever you want to call young professional, I don't know. But for me, one thing I do is I plan ahead when I can. So in the sport I work, I recognize when my off-season is. And as best I can, I I plan things. I plan trips. uh, I plan getaways. You know, if I know there's an off weekend and we're not going to have practice— Yes, that could change. And so your plans have to be some plans have to have a little bit of flexibility. But I take you know, I take advantage of that um, and truly unplug. I mean, you have to truly unplug and athletic trainers don't really have the luxury of true a hundred percent unplugging. Our phone is always on for emergencies, et cetera. But working with your team and recognize and talking to them about respecting your time too, mm-hmm. it's not a hard conversation to have. It kind of sounds like it might be, but, in a in a team culture where you know everyone loves each other, with with regards to that, they they understand that I'm married. They they know my husband; he comes to all of our games, so uh, it's it's a respect thing there that they recognize. I'm not going to call you at eight o'clock at night for something that's not an emergency. That will wait till the next day. So, turning it off or unplugging when you can, uh, within reason, um, and making sure your team and your coaches know that too, and working with again surrounding yourself with great people who also have a desire for work life balance is 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 a true gift i think mm-hmm. having having people that i work with that work hard when it's work time and they want to grind it out and they're ready to win big win championships and then they're ready to ready to relax and unplug when we need to unplug too um and bringing both of those worlds together. Like I said, my husband attends all of our home games. So even though he and I aren't sitting next to each other in the dugout talking, I look up and I can see that he's there and he yeah, enjoys the sport. Supportive. I supportive. Mean, That's so good. It yeah. works well that I have a husband that likes sports because he's been in attendance of all the different sports that I've worked um, with, you know, within reason, the ones that he is able to go to. So that helps too. It kind of feels like. Now, I don't know when you inject a kid into this scenario what it's going to be like. I Thankfully, I've had colleagues and mentors that I've seen both women and men, uh, that have had children and had families and made it work. And, um, usually that's the phrase they say is you just figure it out and make it work. Um, but seeing that, and I mean, you know, at the highest level too, one of my, um, Favorite people in the profession, Kelly Pugh is an athletic trainer. She's a director. She's the head football athletic trainer at UVA, and she has a full wow. family of kids.
0: That's amazing. I mean,
1: she is a boss. Like, She is just someone I want to be like when I grow up, is what I like to say. i so, got to
0: meet her at some point. There. Yeah, she's yeah, great. Yeah. You,
1: you should. I'll be sure to make that happen if it. If it she has.
0: comes to town, or I'm out there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one more question. What do you do to stay sharp as a professional uh Share some, do you, do you read, do you listen to podcasts, do you clinics? I know you guys got to keep CEUs up like we do, right, as strength yep. coaches. just turned What do you in? do? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, well, if you ask anyone on our staff, uh, they'll know, most of them know, we did one of those like personality tests or whatever, and you were an orange or a blue, I was the a green the only green on staff by the way which what's was, a green what's that mean a green is a question asker and um, always looking to find the answers so <laughs> my staff quickly our staff quickly acknowledged that that wasn't accurate um did you
0: tell your husband that too oh yeah okay, he knows okay. everyone right. knows my family good, knows then.
1: everyone knows I, i'm not shy about it so yeah i ask questions i'm constantly trying to learn new things anytime i can um at conferences, I totally nerd out. Like, sometimes people go to conferences, and maybe they go to one or two sessions, and then they go hang out or go socialize. No, I I do both. I fit in both. But I am from 8am or as early as I can get there to anything relevant to what the sport I'm working and where I'm currently interested. I'm taking notes and and learning things there. So um, I do like to look into where the research is at on things, you know, just do searches that way. And I do lean on my coworkers that are in the in the nerd department with me that that like that sort of thing too. See what they're doing, and 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 we share. You know, have you seen this article? Recently, my coworker Tom t- uh, gave me a new app that you can more easily just kind of get the, you know, the short version, the summary version of a recent article, and then if you really want to dig into it, you just click on it. So, um, finding those tools to make it easy and accessible because you know free time is few and far between in this profession, but. Um,
0: yeah, so true, I yeah. make
1: it work when I can. And definitely in the summers, it seems to be conference season, so to speak, when we do a lot of our continuing education and that sort of thing. Um, and I look around to who I work with and see what conferences they've gone to, what, what new things they're learning and get their feedback. And if they think it's been really valuable and they've really utilized a lot of what they've learned, I'll usually go take the same course because <laughs> why not? Or Pull from their knowledge.
0: Yeah, and I love. I've just over the years watching you guys as a as a group and as a unit. You guys are always bringing in different therapies or modalities you're learning. I know you did the dry needling recently. I think um, the uh, was it the occlusion training, mm, yeah, uh, the BFR. BFR. Just I mean that to me shows that not only are you trying to be the best you can be, but you're just you keep getting better, right? You keep you have this hunger to grow and learn and yeah. and become a better professional and. And I think that that that, that's a healthy environment that makes you want to that makes you look forward to coming to work. I feel like so that's something you guys do a great job with it. Yeah, it's
1: I would say it's impossible to keep up with the growing wealth of knowledge and resources that are built. I mean, I started out here, and as soon as I got to Texas, there were a couple class courses that I knew I needed to get on board with quick because everyone was already ART certified and Graston certified, whatever. But I mean, each year they're coming out with, cup you know cup therapy and. Like you said, myofascial decompression or um, trigger point dry needling. Um, a couple of my coworkers are into PRI, and um, that seems to have really great benefits. It's it's just seemingly impossible to keep keep up with all of it. All you gotta you just gotta stay hungry, like you said, and stay interested, and in trying to get better and trying to grow. Um,
0: yeah, there's a lot out there, and you, that, like you said, it's impossible to keep up with it. But you gotta you gotta keep chopping wood. I'm though. sure
1: that's the same in your world, right? Yeah,
0: no, it's there's so much, you know, and and there's so much out there, but then, you know, I think that's the art of what we do. You got to kind of weed through what tools can you use that you really are confident in that you get good results with. Yeah. You know, I think that's the art of what we do. And that's what makes it so different.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how much you know if you can't implement it. So it's yeah. important to yeah stay on top of it, but also recognize what will be useful and feasible where you're at.
0: That's good. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, well, awesome. Cassie, today, it has been such a Pleasure having you on the podcast. Yeah, if, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, no. If if people want to find more out about you or connect with you or just reach out with more questions, how could they do that?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, my information is on the Texas Athletics directory on the on the website there. Uh, my email and my my office line are listed there. My email is pretty simple. It's just my name. Of course, my name is sometimes misspelled or often misspelled Cassie K A S S I at utexas.edu. Pretty simple there, uh, but like I said, you can always go to the Texas Athletics website. They got the staff directory there under Health and Wellness, and I am listed there.
0: Good stuff. we well, love hey, to chat. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for making time to do this yeah. this show today, and thank you it, for
1: doing this show. I think this is really cool.
0: Yeah, no, Cassie's a rock star, everybody. And if you've never met her or even uh, talked to her, definitely reach out to her if you got questions. And she's really good at what she does. We we have a great team at Texas, and again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you next week. Hook hook'em! Hook em. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe. And thanks so much for tuning in.